Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego, Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month with no additional costs or fees. You heard that right. No additional fees. Literally hundreds of events in Denver for $39 a month. For instance, over the next few weeks, you could hit up Nuggets vs. Jazz at Pepsi Center, Beer Flights at Prost Brewing, Avalanche vs. Predators, CU vs. Washington State, and countless comedy shows at Comedy Works. There's literally something for everyone. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. So here's where it gets good. We've partnered with InWeGo to give BSN listeners a great deal. If you go to InWeGo.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All events in Denver for under 20 bucks during your first month. Try it, and I personally guarantee you that you're going to fall in love with it. So again, go to InWeGo.com backslash BSN or download the app for free and use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by InWeGo. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. As always, the BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by Inwego, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver. Harrison Wind here, alongside Christian Clark, Friday edition of the show. We are recording today down at Greenfield's Pool and Sports Bar in Lakewood, Colorado, right by BSN Denver headquarters, actually. If you guys are in the area looking for good food, good drinks, make sure to hit them up. A lot to get to on today's show. We got a game to discuss. The Nuggets fall in L.A. to the Lakers, of course, Thursday night. Their first loss of the season, Christian, they're not going to go 82-0. I know some of you were holding out hope out there that this was going to be the first undefeated season in NBA history. And it would be courtesy of your Denver Nuggets, but no, they will not go 82-0. They fall to the Lakers. It was a close game. It was a great game, too. 121-114. Not the most beautifully executed offensive game, I'd say, but the two teams still put up well over 100 points. Scoring in this league is just out of control. I was in L.A. watching the game. You were here. What was your biggest impression from the game watching it uh, on the telecast? Well, I guess that's the new NBA, right, is the teams don't play A-plus offensively, and the score is still 121 to 114. I'm still kind of getting used to it, frankly. It's ridiculous. It's the freedom of movement. It's the pace. It's the insane offensive numbers that teams are putting up right now. I almost get the feeling that offenses are too good, and that's not – anything that's wrong with the NBA or wrong with basketball. These players are so gifted, so athletic, so skilled on the offensive end. They're too tough to stop for defenses, and uh, it's tough night in and night out to put together a game plan that can effectively stop 
the opposing team in this day and age with the rules, with how good these guys are? Yeah, I mean, uh, coming into this game, uh, all the talk was on the Nuggets defense somewhat surprisingly. I was really interested going into this one about how the Nuggets' new and improved pick-and-roll coverage was going to hold up against LeBron. I remember one of those games last year, Cavs versus Nuggets in Denver, and just seeing LeBron slice and dice the Nuggets. He's so good at that coming off the pick-and-roll and hitting the shooter spotting up in the corner like 25 feet away, just a bullet pass right at his chest. It's so hard to guard as a defense, even if you're – you know, rotating really, really quickly. And I think LeBron, you know, dissected the Nuggets pretty much all night uh, coming off the pick and roll and, and finding his shooters. It's about as tough of a test as you can have for your pick and roll defense. I mean, LeBron had 11 assists in this game. I felt like he very easily could have had 14 or 15. Yeah, he dominated. He dominated the game. He was great. I mean, I think we kind of expected it. Nuggets have a couple guys they can throw at LeBron. Paul Millsap's a good matchup on him, really as good of a matchup as the Nuggets have. Look, he's not an ideal matchup, but he's not hes not just going to allow LeBron to do whatever he wants. He's going to put up some resistance there. He played as good a defense as the Nuggets could have asked him to, but Denver didn't really have a lot of options to put on LeBron after Paul Millsap. Torrey Craig, uh, Trey Lyles, Look, LeBron's just going to bulldoze right through or right around those guys. 28 for LeBron, his first triple-double as a Laker, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. So what do you think of the Nuggets' defense just as a whole? I mean, factoring in, LeBron is LeBron. He's going to do this to a lot of teams, a lot of premier defenses out there. The Nuggets came into this matchup with, depending on which defensive rating statistic you looked at, if it was NBA.com or cleaning the glass, they still had the number one offensive or not number one offense, number one defense in the league on cleaning the glass. Was this a big step back for the Nuggets defense, or was this just LeBron being LeBron, and you still think this Nuggets defense is borderline elite? Yeah, I think this is more about just LeBron's greatness. I mean, I don't think the Nuggets played as well as they had through the first four games on the defensive end. They got beat on a couple back cuts. That That's something that is preventable in my mind. I mean, they let JaVale McGee hurt them on the glass a little bit too. But I thought they played okay on the defensive end. Really, I mean, I think this was just a game where with how good LeBron was playing and Lance kind of going nuts a little bit, you just needed to outscore them really. I mean, the Nuggets needed an A performance from their offense, in my opinion, to win this one. Yeah, I guess I slightly disagree. I think the Nuggets played pretty good defense at times against the Lakers. Lakers shot 50% from the field, 35% from three. I saw some signs of slippage against Golden State defensively. Saw some more signs of slippage, I think, against the Kings. And I think we saw some of those same signs against the Lakers. Zach Lowe had a great stat on his podcast a couple days ago. Before this Lakers game, the Nuggets, they have played really good defense. They're one of the most aggressive teams in the league, maybe the most aggressive team when it comes to percentage of blitzes, when they're defending the pick and roll, playing up the floor and whatnot. The defense they've played this year is just night and day compared to what they played last year. That being said, they've gotten pretty lucky on the defensive end of the floor. Opponents are generating a ton of open threes, and they're just missing those threes. Zach had a stat before this Lakers game that said the Nuggets have allowed the second most corner threes in the league before this Lakers game, so through their first four games. 
And that's probably a sign of a bad defense, right, if you're giving up corner threes. Opponents were shooting just 32% on those corner threes heading into this Laker game. So there's been a little luck that's gone Denver's way too. But that being said, this Nuggets defense, I think we can say, is still leaps and bounds better than it was last year. I think there's surely some regression coming. We've seen a little bit of it over these past couple games, mainly against the Kings, mainly against the Lakers too. But I still think there's the potential here for Denver to field a league average defense, and that should be the goal. The goal should not be a top five defense because I don't think that's attainable with this roster. I never thought it was, even though they were that good throughout the first few games of the regular season. The goal with this team should be, can we field a top 15 defense? Can we field a league average defense? If they do that, look, the playoffs are going to be a given. Well, yeah, I feel like we're kind of saying the same thing, actually, then. Um, I mean, I don't think they're that bad defensively against the Lakers, and yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, the Nuggets are not going to finish top five in defensive rating. It's it's just not going to happen. You know, I don't think that they're going to finish top ten in defensive rating either, but somewhere in the middle of the pack is an excellent goal for them, and that would be you know, leaps and bounds improvement for where they've been the past four years. So, like I said, I... I don't think their biggest issues in this game were on the defensive end. I thought they were on the other end. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, the Lakers put up 121, but, like, what are you going to do? The Lakers are going to be really good at home this year, as are the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are going to easily eclipse their record at home from a year ago. They're, they're going to be dominant at Pepsi Center this year. I think the Lakers will also be really good at Staples Center. The environment for Lakers games – already early on this season is incredible. It was there for their preseason game at Staples Center, LeBron's first game as a Laker at Staples Center back in the preseason earlier this month, a few weeks back. The energy was incredible there. He's had a couple home games there. The atmosphere there is still top-notch. The crowd is super into it. Every time he gets the ball, everybody stands up, everybody gets on their feet. It's a really cool atmosphere, and they're going to really benefit from that this year. You ready for a quick rundown and list of the celebrities I saw Thursday night? Oh, hit me. I know Floyd Mayweather's on the list. Floyd Mayweather, courtside, who's friends with Isaiah Thomas. Not sure how long that friendship goes back, but those two are definitely tight. Phil Mickelson, Yasiel Puig, and then the headliner, of course, Kobe Bryant, who walked in. I'd say midway through the first quarter, a few minutes into the game with Rob Palenka and I think the third guy in that entourage was a Nike exec. But Kobe Bryant sits down baseline about 20 feet in front of me in the corner opposite the Nuggets bench. Crowd goes absolutely bonkers. Kobe chants start to break out. He was there. He was taking it in. There was an awesome moment during the game. LeBron James got loose on a fast break, came down the lane, threw down a huge dunk, yelled right at Kobe Bryant's direction, stared him down in the corner, almost as if to say, this is my team now. It was lit. You took it as a a menacing thing? No, not menacing, but he definitely made eye contact with him. Okay, that's really interesting. I mean, I I didn't see this look, so it wasn't like a, yeah, yeah. You did cool stuff here, and now I'm doing cool stuff here now thing? I mean, maybe. 
Maybe. Okay. I don't want to say it, but maybe. That's interesting. We'll file that one away. Well, I knew Phil Mickelson was there because if you watch a TV broadcast, TNT inexplicably pulled him on for like five minutes and just interviewed him. And Phil Mickelson was like acting like he was a basketball analyst. He was like, yeah, what makes the Nuggets so tough is they have nine guys who play 20 or minutes. They'll really wear you down, guys. He's not wrong. Like, <laughs> I was like, sweet, Phil. I heard he also dropped that he used to date a son or his wife was a former son's cheerleader on the broadcast. That's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. He, he made sure to get that in there, though. Yeah. That's how he got into the NBA, if you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, Phil Mickelson clearly loves to gamble, too. I mean, I think most people who listen to this podcast probably already knew that. It's well documented. But, you know, he was talking about betting $50,000 on, like, a single putt. <laughs> Must be nice. <laughs> I couldn't decide whether the biggest rousing ovation that that Staples Center crowd gave was when they played the Kobe montage. And again, Kobe doesn't come back to Staples Center often or has not come back often since he retired. This is only, I think, one of a few times he's come back and watched a game at Staples Center. Maybe well, he's busy storytelling, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe only the second time since they retired his jersey. Maybe this is the next time he's been back at Staples Center since they retired his jersey. If he's been back more times than that, it hasn't been many, but... The largest ovation of the night was either for Kobe's video montage that they played, I think, in the first quarter at halftime, or when Lance Stevenson hit one of his turnaround jumpers in the fourth quarter. I think Lance Stevenson played the air guitar so much last night, he had to change one of the strings. (laughs) I think one of the strings broke. 25 minutes for Lance, 5 of 11, 2 of 3 from 3, 12 points. Like, is this fool's gold from some of the Lakers squad, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, putting up 21-7, and or is this actually real? Well, okay, I think JaVale might be kind of real. He's had a really good start to the season. Lance Stevenson, that's fool's gold. I mean, he's going to only do that, like, one out of every dozen, 15 games or so. I I think they're both fool's gold. I do not think JaVale McGee is a good basketball player. Uh, he's looks kind of good here. I mean, I don't. I think do he not can hold think up. he's I don't any think good. he can play enough minutes. Like, I don't think the minute load he's been playing is sustainable for him over the long haul. But I don't, I don't want to say he's good, but he's all right. I think he's playing with LeBron, and he's able to finish around the rim right now. He's god awful defensively. I don't see this holding up at all. Twenty-one and seven for Javale McGee. Are you kidding? I do not see this holding up. Let's go ahead and take a break real quick. A lot more to get to on this game. Talk about the Nuggets starters. They looked okay at times against the Lakers, but I feel like there's some weak links developing within that starting five. We'll talk about this bench as well and some more observations from Staples Center. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory and then a lot of the most common situations that that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, 
from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out Elixinol.com. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Harrison Wind alongside Christian Clark. It's Friday. The Nuggets are 4-1, chopped their first game of the season on the road Thursday night's Lakers 121-114. We are recording today from Greenfield's Sports Bar in Lakewood. If you're ever in the area, make sure to check them out. Tons of TVs, beer, games, little mini arcade action going on here. Good spot uh, if you're looking for some quick grub. The starters, Christian. What was your big impression or your big takeaway from this starting group against the Lakers? A couple guys had good games. A couple guys did not. Yeah, the starting group, those first four games really was pretty dominant. And for the most part, it didn't matter if Will Barton was in there or it didn't matter if Torrey Craig was in there. You know, I think some things finally caught up to Denver's starting group in this game against the Lakers LeBron was guarding Torrey Craig for most of the night. And, well, I say guarding, but, you know, he was matched up against Torrey Craig, but essentially playing free safety. He was within five feet of him, maybe, on <laughs> defense. Yeah. They were ignoring Torrey Craig, and he just didn't look very confident offensively. I was kind of surprised, frankly, that we didn't see Malik Beasley earlier in that game. I mean, we didn't see Malik until late in the third quarter. Torrey just didn't have a whole lot uh, on offense, and... Look, I think if you've got two guys in your starting lineup who are not very confident in their outside shot, they're not very confident putting the ball on the floor and passing, then it's just going to hurt you. And it did last night for Denver. The starting unit got outscored by eight points in almost 20 minutes together. That's pretty rare. Denver, you know, last season and some change, their starting group has been really, really freaking good. And that just wasn't the case against the Lakers. Yeah, it's tough when you've got two guys who aren't really big threats from three-point range out there right now in your starting lineup. Paul Millsap is one of eight from three on the year. Torrey Craig's two of 11 from three on the year. And, look, those guys don't have to be 40% three-point shooters, but they got to keep the defense honest from three. And you saw what happened Thursday against the Lakers when the defense doesn't have to respect those guys' shots. They can collapse into the paint. They can sag off those guys. They can jumble up the pain and, and make things more difficult for Nikola Jokic and Denver's drivers. It, it's an issue for Denver's starting lineup. And, yeah, it did come to the a forefront in that game against the Lakers. Paul Millsap's really struggling on the offensive end of the floor right now. He struggled really the whole year. He had that one good game against the Kings where kind of – got going on the offensive end of the floor really took it to Nemanja Bialica as we would expect him to he was 6-10 in that game for 15 points has really struggled otherwise though on the offensive end of the floor was 3-90 against the Lakers for 6 points struggling to finish around the rim obviously doesn't have the confidence in his 3 point stroke right now he doesn't seem overly concerned about it speaking with him after the game and why would you expect him to be 
I mean, 12 years in the league, 33 years old. He's been through slumps before, but I think there's some concern here just in terms of how reliable of an option he's going to be. I saw Mark Kessler um, say on Twitter that Paul Millsap is the Ian Desmond of the Denver Nuggets. Look, I've got a lot of respect for Mark. Um, I, I disagree with that, and here's why. Ian Desmond was a net negative for the Rockies last year. Paul Millsap ha- has been a net positive for the Nuggets so far this season. That, that's undeniable. You can look at the numbers. You can just watch the games and see how improved Denver is on the defensive end, and that's due to Millsap first and foremost. Now, I will say... I am growing a little bit concerned about Melsep on the offensive end. You know, the, the three-point stroke is not as worrisome to me. It's just how creaky he looks making his moves down low and how ham-handed he looks, you know, trying to finish around the rim. If you look at his shot chart on NBA.com, he's 11 for 26 at the rim, um, 42.3%. You know, last couple of years of his career, his finishing ability – at the rim has declined um, steadily. So I'm just, I'm kind of worried about him and his ability to, to get buckets inside. I mean, we all saw him go up for that dunk in the third quarter and no one was even contesting that shot and he just got packed by the rim. Yeah, that was a rough moment. <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah, he was not able to get the ball over the rim there. And yeah, I think it's a result of his athleticism probably waning later into his career. Well, as expected, that's what happens, and you know, typically when that happens, guys have to figure out different ways to be effective on the offensive end of the floor. Look, last night he was still really good on defense. He had what? He had that sequence when he just stunned the Lakers at the rim. I think two possessions in a row or two plays in a row. He's already done that countless times this season. I think his defense this season, at the beginning of the year, is better than it was at the beginning of last season when he was healthy and when the Nuggets were playing pretty solid defense over the first few games of the 27-18 season. But yeah, offensively, just has not been a reliable option. I've said this before, the Nuggets don't need him to be otherworldly on the offensive end. They just need him to be solid and make the shots he should be making around the rim. Yeah, and you know, it hurts so much not having Will Barton in there because you're, you're just gonna not going to notice his, his offensive struggles as much if you've got Barton in there. But now all of a sudden there's two guys who are, are negatives on the offensive end and things start to stick out like a sore thumb. I thought this was really the first game since Barton went down where I was like, oh, man, they really missed him in yeah, this one. They did miss him. They missed his veteran savvy at the end of games. They missed his shot making. They missed the threat he is from three. And, look, it was interesting in the fourth quarter because we've talked about this a lot what the Nuggets offense looks like in the first three and a half quarters compared to what it looks like at the end of the game. Denver had a tough time generating offense at the end of this one, and they dumped the ball down to Paul a few times on the block, weren't able to generate many scores that way, and Nikola Jokic wasn't really able to make an impact at the end of the game. So we kind of saw again how maybe sometimes this Nuggets offense could struggle in fourth quarters. Yeah, and – I think it has to be said, too, that Jamal Murray didn't do a particularly good job of point guarding in this game. He did a, he did a nice job scoring the ball. I mean, he, he had 22, 8 of 17 shooting. He had the, a big third quarter for the second game in a row. Lonzo Ball was hounding him for most of this game. We, we saw Lonzo Ball just rip him, you know, 85 feet from the Nuggets' own basket. That is not a good sign. NBA point guards should never get ripped in their own backcourt like that. And... 
you know, I, I think the fact that Jamal had a little trouble getting Denver set up was reflected in his plus minus a little bit. He was a minus 12, even though you look at the 22 points and 10 rebounds. It wasn't his best point guarding game, and he struggled a little bit when guys limit his airspace. We kind of we kind of saw that opening night against the Clippers when he was matched up against Patrick Beverly. Yeah, and only uh, 22 assists for the Nuggets against the Lakers. Their league average, la their average last year was around like 25, 26. You typically see more assists from them, and look, only three assists from Nikola Jokic, only one assist from Jamal Murray. There just wasn't a ton of like playmaking from the point guard position. The only guy who was playmaking from the point guard position and getting his teammates involved was Monte Morris, who uh, we'll talk about in a little, but he finished with a team-high seven assists. He was amazing on Thursday night. But yeah, the late-game offense is going to be uh, something to watch over these next couple games. Lonzo Ball, to your point, was incredible. 12 points, six rebounds, six assists, five steals. Uh, he was great. I've never been higher on him as a prospect uh, as I am right now. I, I thought he was a no-brainer coming out of the draft. And, look, he looks great defensively. He picked Murray's pocket twice in the backcourt. That's something that's given Jamal trouble over the past couple of years, to bringing the ball up against point guards who are going to apply a lot of pressure. We saw that in the opener at times against Patrick Beverly, and we saw that here against Lonzo Ball. But – I definitely think Lonzo Ball won this matchup against Jamal Murray if you're just looking at those two. I thought the decisive stretch in this game came in the fourth quarter, obviously, with uh, around the 440 mark. Lance Stevenson had just ripped off a personal 8-0 run. Staples Center crowd going crazy. Oh, he was, he was playing the guitar. He had the whole thing going. And I thought it was really telling and, and interesting what the Nuggets did on their next two offensive possessions. The first... They went to Millsap on a post-up, kind of isolated him. He's matched up against Kyle Kuzma, and he just missed. The next time down, Nuggets went to Millsap in the post again. You know, he tries to make his move, and Lonzo Ball just pokes the ball away from him. The, the Lakers go down on the other end. Um, they, they tie the game. The momentum ju just turned in those couple of moments, and Denver was n never really able to regain its footing. Jokic missed a couple of bunnies. You know, I thought they were really good looks, and, and you take those looks every single time. But, look, this is Nikola Jokic's team now. I think everybody understands that. We've hammered that point home. I can understand, you know, wanting to go to Millsap in certain spots here and there. But I, spot, I thought last night, you know, that had to be Jokic in the post every single time down the floor because he was killing McGee, and he was killing Kuzma. I mean, he missed a couple. But it was pretty clear that your best offense last night was just feed Jokic in the post. And I didn't really understand just, just going to Millsap two straight times there when they're really critical possessions. Yeah, that ball should be going to Jokic. And on the one hand, I can't say I'm terribly surprised because we've seen that from the Nuggets in the past. We've seen them want to get the ball in Paul Millsap's hands from the mid-range, from the short corner, from the block time and time again in fourth quarters. But I agree. Uh, it should be Nikola Jokic on the block there instead of Paul Millsap. Nikola had an interesting comment, I thought, at shoot-around Thursday morning 
I don't know how interesting it was. It was pretty par for the course of what Nicola says when he's asked about this kind of stuff. But he was asked about his Player of the Week award, and he said, the whole team is playing really well. The good thing about our team is that we have five, six players who can go off and score 20, 25, 30. So that's really hard to guard. He went on to say, this week was my week, so someone else is probably going to step up next couple of games. We That's par for the course about what Nikola Jokic says, but a lot of people responded to that comment when I put it out on Twitter and said, that's kind of weird for him to say. You know, maybe he should be saying on the heels of this award that, that's going to be me like every week that you know I'm going to be that type of offensive player every week I wouldn't expect him to say that because that's not the type of guy he is he's always going to look to get his teammates involved first and make the right play but maybe we're still looking for that mindset within him to shift yeah I don't really read that much into those comments to be honest with you I'm surprised people were surprised I mean Jokic is always going to deflect like Nothing he hates more than being asked about individual accolades. I remember the 2016-17 season. He he just like surpassed David Robinson in terms of triple doubles by a rookie center or, or something like that. Right. And you know, I told him that after the game, I was like, "You you had more triple doubles this season than David Robinson ever had in a season." He was like, "I don't care." That that's just who Jokic is at his core. He's not going to say anything about individual accolades. So I don't read anything to that. Um, I will say that. You know, feeding Jokic every single possession down the stretch, that's a team thing, but that's also a Jokic thing, too. I mean, he, he does have to demand the ball to some degree and, you know, maybe sometimes tell Millsap, like, get out of here. I got this this time. It's a two-way street. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. And that's going to be something that Jokic is going to have to grow more comfortable with over the course of his career. Let's go ahead and take another break. We'll be right back with more discussion about this Nuggets bench. Monte Morris, who had a standout performance Thursday against the Lakers. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado. And Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there, and they have a million TVs, it feels like. It's not a bad seat in the house, and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go Harrison Wind here alongside Christian Clark. Friday edition of the show talking about the Nuggets loss to the Lakers. Let's talk about this Nuggets bench. The standout performer from this game in my mind was Monte Morris. He's had a couple good games already this season. He looked great against the Lakers. He's another guy like Jamal Murray talking to him who gets up for games like these nationally televised matchups 
in L.A. A lot of guys like to play in L.A. for a number of reasons, I'll say. But Morris was incredible. 20 points, a career high there. 6-9 from the field, 7 assists. What did you see from him? Monte Morris just continues to impress me. I mean, he, he was so good in that game against Golden State. He was so good against Sacramento. And he followed up with, with his best game as a pro so far. I mean, you know, I, I think there are some initial jitters of him being in the rotation. This is the first time he's been in an NBA rotation in his career. It's, it's his second year. But just his composure, I mean, 22 assists compared to two turnovers this season – that is just remarkable, and we knew he was a low-mistake, high-IQ player. I mean, before he really even burst into the rotation, we saw that at Iowa State. We saw that at Las Vegas Summer League, and he's only built on that so far in his limited amount of time as the backup point guard. I mean, he, he reminded me of Fred Van Vliet a, a little bit last night. He was so freaking good. He was, he was Denver's best player aside from Nicole Jokic, in my opinion. Denver's best player aside from the Yogish. I might agree with you there. He was so solid. And it's funny you make the Fred Van Vliet comparison because that's who the Nuggets named as the guy they wanted Morris to replicate this coming season when telling him about what his role was going to be this year. They want him to be their Fred Van Vliet, a guy who can come in off the bench for around 20 minutes a game, Maybe a little more if he's playing well, like he did against the Lakers. He played 27 minutes. He was on the floor at the end of the first half, late into the fourth quarter as well, definitely making Michael Malone's decision about who he's going to close with a tough one. But he's on the floor to disrupt the opposing team and to just run his team really effectively on the offensive end. He's picking up full court on defense, something he did at Summer League, something he did throughout the preseason, and something he's going to do throughout this season. And he's just being a pest on that end of the floor, getting handsy, as Jamal Murray put it, post game. And then on the offensive end, he's just your true point guard. And, you know, this isn't breaking news. We've talked about this many times before, but he's great out of the pick and roll, so savvy there, runs the pick and roll like a 10, 12 year veteran. His shot, I think he's developing more confidence in his shot game by game. He really let it fly without hesitation on both of his three-point attempts against the Lakers. He was 2-2 two two from distance. And we know he's great and really crafty finishing around the rim. Uh, so he's a super well-rounded player. And look, I think over these first five games, he's gone a long ways to answering Denver's looming question at backup point guard that's kind of been out there for these last couple of years I maintain that the Nuggets would have made the playoffs last season if they'd simply made Monte Morris the backup point guard at the beginning of the year instead of Emmanuel Moutier I mean I, I really do think that cost him a couple wins I mean just having a good backup point guard you know compared to a backup point guard I think they would have been in the postseason Monte Morris looks like the long-term answer at backup point guard I mean he if you want to learn how to just play the point guard position well and run a team, just watch Monte Morris. He's not the sexiest player in the league. He's you know he doesn't dazzle you like Jamal Murray with the step back threes. He's just so smart in everything he does on the floor. And look, I still expect Isaiah Thomas whenever he gets healthy to probably get those backup point guard minutes. I think that's just how it's going to be this year because Isaiah Thomas has such an impressive pedigree and he's already accomplished so much so he's going to get that opportunity but 
that's going to be a tough decision. And moving forward, I mean, Monte Morris, it could be a valuable part of this team for a, for a long time. It's going to be a tough call for sure. When Isaiah Thomas gets healthy and how Michael Malone is going to assign minutes when that happens. You got to think Isaiah Thomas came here with the thought in mind that when I get healthy, there are going to be minutes available for me, right? And so when that time comes, he's probably going to be expecting to play. And look, he should. He's Isaiah Thomas. He's been one of the top offensive players in this league before. He deserves the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, we need to get you on the floor and at least see what you have. Yeah, if you averaged 29 points per game two years ago and you did it really efficiently, you would expect to play too, right? No question. But it's still a conundrum for the Nuggets because, look, I don't expect Monte Morris, or not Monte Morris, Isaiah Thomas to be back for another month, another two months maybe. The Nuggets don't have a firm timetable or haven't set a timetable of when to expect him back, but that's just me guessing from the vibe I get look we could be in December and the Nuggets could be 10 games above 500 and just operating like a well-oiled machine on the offensive end of the floor with their starters and their bench unit and Monte Morris is going to be a huge part of that bench unit and and so that's going to be tough to take him and say hey you know you played amazing but we got to sit you down I mean could Monte Morris and Isaiah Thomas both play minutes? Like they're not the tallest guys. I'd say if Monte Morris was six foot five instead of six foot two, six foot three, that'd be a more likely scenario. But it's tough to envision both those guys getting minutes. I don't see any scenario where all three of those guys can get rotation minutes. I mean, that's just three undersized guys. I I, I just don't see it. I will say, you know, we we got a tiny look at Monte Morris and Jamal Murray out there in the backcourt together last night and I kind of like that look I mean it it didn't really pop last night but I'm intrigued by it at least at least while Will Barton is out Um, because uh, you know Jamal Murray not a a natural point guard he can do a, a pretty good job of some of that point guarding stuff but I think letting Murray you know just be off ball for like 10 minutes a game or you know even if it's just seven minutes a game could be a really interesting look for the Nuggets. So I'll kind of be keeping an eye on that moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. We saw it a little against the Lakers. I don't know about you. I think there's something to players who have a good camaraderie and good chemistry off the court, playing together on the court. And I guess that's not a stretch to say with Monte Morris because he's got good camaraderie with good chemistry. Not just everybody on the Nuggets, but with everybody in the league. Um But Monte and Jamal played a lot on the same team together throughout the summer, throughout pickup runs at Pepsi Center on the practice court there. Those two guys played a lot of games together on the same team throughout the offseason. Obviously, when it shifts to training camp and it gets to a more organized setting, then they're matching up on opposite teams. Then Jamal Murray and the Stars are going against Monte Morris and the bench, so they compete with each other in that way. Uh, But they played together a lot during the summer. They developed a good chemistry, and that lineup kind of popped at times. They had some decent moments in the second half. Yeah, yeah. Um, So 
definitely we, we've got some clarity at the backup point guard position, at least until Isaiah Thomas returns. Look, Monte Morris has firmly got that job. I continue to I continue to expect him to be the backup point guard. You know, even when Will Barton comes back. Let me let me ask you this: Do you expect to see a change in the starting lineup on Monday against the Pelicans? If you're just guessing, no, I don't. I don't. I think you could make a case that a Wancho or Non Gomez could get in there at the starting three. He only played eight minutes against the Lakers, by the way. Only eight minutes for Wancho. He got off the bench early too. I mean, he was yeah. in there. He was the first wing sub. Him and Morris were the first subs off the bench, and I thought it was a pretty bad defensive game for Wancho. Interestingly enough, I thought Malik Beasley played really well in the limited amount of time we saw him. He's just so athletic, man. He's one of the most athletic players on the roster. When he went up for that, what I think was a dunk attempt and turned into a layup attempt, like, looked like his head was at the top of the backboard. He was flying on that. He was skying on that uh, layup attempt. Um, no, I would not expect Juancho Hernan Gomez to be inserted into the starting lineup. I think you could make the case, like I said, he would give this starting lineup a bit more of a three-point threat. He, he'd give the, them a four-three-point threat alongside Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Nikola Jokic. Um, but, look, Denver's 4-1. and one. Their offense hasn't clicked like it did last year, but I don't think that's cause for concern at all. And from what the Nuggets have done defensively, although, like I said earlier in the show, I think there's been a lot of signs of slippage over these last three games, I don't think it's to the point where Mike Malone is thinking about wholesale changes to his starting lineup. What do you think? I would bet that we'll, Torrey Craig will probably be back in there. And, you know, I, I wouldn't do this next game because it, there's probably just too much risk, but... I don't know, man. If Malik continues to play well, I, I really might think about taking a look at him. And I know that sounds a little crazy. In the starting lineup. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, he's you're th he's that much of a downgrade from Torrey Craig defensively. I mean, he's a little smaller for sure. But, I mean, I don't see any reason. The Nuggets just can't start three guards out there together while they're, they're waiting for Will Barton to come back. But I don't know. It's, it's premature to say that. I want to see a little bit more. But, I don't know, Malik has been pretty impressive to me. Yeah, I just think Torrey Craig's the safer option. When you're looking at all three guys, and this is what we said throughout the whole summer, why we thought Torrey would be playing the most minutes out of those three. It didn't start the year that way, but funny enough, an injury happens, and now we're back to Torrey Craig playing the most out of those three. Funny how that works, because he's the safest option. He doesn't give you the ceiling on offense that a Wancho does or a Malik does. Maybe even the ceiling that Malik does on the, the defensive end of the floor. But he's the safest option, and that's why the Nuggets go with him. Yeah, I mean, Craig has just got to step up and shoot those threes confidently. I mean, he was a good three-point shooter in the G League, a good overall scorer, a pretty good three-point shooter over in Australia. He's got to do it now. Anything else from this game? We kind of missed on uh, the rest of the bench here. Trey Lyles, 11 points, 4 rebounds, 5 of 12 from the field. Had some decent offensive moments. Knocked down a 3. Thank God he needed that <laughs> for his confidence. Mason Plumley, 10 points, 5 of 6 shooting, including an incredible reverse alley-oop that um, was, I don't know how else you can say it other than vintage Plumley. King. That's all I've got to say, king. The king stays a king. So a big matchup for Denver 
next against the New Orleans Pelicans, right? I mean, New Orleans has been one of the best teams in the league. I was hoping this would be the the premier matchup of the week on League Pass, pitting the remaining two undefeated teams in the Western Conference against each other. Uh, but that will not happen. But still, New Orleans is a great opponent. They have a lot of players who have killed Denver in the past. It's going to be a big test for the Nuggets. Pelicans number one in offensive efficiency. Two Nuggets killers on their roster and Anthony Davis and Julius Randle. Those dudes might combine for 65. They might. It's going to be another test for this Nuggets defense who, like I said, have shown some signs of slippage. But look, still when comparing this defense to what they were last year, it's night and day, I think, still. Um, no matter the easy buckets and corner threes they let up here as of late. I think that's all the time we got for today's show. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Again, we recorded today from Greenfield's Bar down here in Lakewood. If you're ever in the area, feel free to give them a shout. Great food, great beer options as well. And with that, we'll be back with another episode soon. Talk with you guys then.